0: you're listening to the rv fireside chat podcast with your hosts mark and trisha leach brought to you by e3 camping the ultimate destination for the rv community coming to you from somewhere different every day with the latest in RVing news fun and facts head over to e3 camping.com to discover more and now here's your hosts mark and trisha
1: We've got a great topic that we're ready to talk about today. We've got Justin Huseman on the line to talk all about RV insurance. And, you know, we put out a message to all the E3 camping members with questions about what, what questions do you have about insurance and the list? I just couldn't even believe the list. So I've spent a lot of time today, just organizing the list. And I've, I've kind of broken down these questions with uh, the type of insurance that people need, depending on their status, your full-time, part-time, weekend warriors, all sorts of stuff. And then also, there were so many questions about how to determine the right coverage, and our members have just gone into excruciatingly detail about this, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to dive into that. And then, of course, there are so many great concerns about gross weight and GVWR and regulations, and insurance is one of those things where it seems kind of simple or maybe like a commodity, but when you get into these specialty rigs and uh, you know RVing, uh, maybe some Uh, vintage RVs or expensive luxury RVs, it gets a little bit more complicated and that's exactly why we have Justin with us today because Justin, you're the founder of Phoenix Insurance and you've been doing this for 17 years and you've specialized in doing specialty stuff. So welcome to E3 Camping Podcast.
2: Hey, great to be here. Yes, uh, I've been in insurance for a very long time and the only way to make insurance fun is to do insurance on fun things. So that's (laughs) what I do. And I I hope I can answer some questions and maybe dispel some myths. Uh, Insurance is kind of a thing where a lot of people operate like, uh, like they're prison lawyers. They just operate (laughs) under rumors rather than really operating from fact. And so I hope I can answer some questions tonight.
1: Well, and I know you're going to be able to bring some clarity to the topic. And when, uh, when people understand something better, they're more comfortable with it. And then they can be also more comfortable having fun with, uh, with their fun things like this. So um, just to kick things off, um, there was a question uh, that Mark Gibson uh, asked, and that is, I thought this was great. Statistically, what are the most common claims within RV insurance? And I've heard some rumors about this, but I would love to know uh, your thoughts on kind of some of the common ones.
2: Before I answer you, tell me what the rumor you've heard is.
1: Well, I've heard, um, you know, everything's kind of exaggerated, but I have heard, that a majority of the claims for an RV happen around a gas station?
2: Uh, Something like that. So it's generally parking lot accidents is what I heard from my companies. So I've got two answers for this. One, the most, probably the most are collision accidents. So things where campers run into cars or things, right? Because limited Mm -hmm. visibility, uh, limited movement. The most statistically denied claim, however, I also got from one of my claims people, and that is a water claim if you haven't been keeping your rig up. So two fun facts there.
1: Interesting, a water claim. Now, I didn't think a water claim was even a, an item that
2: could be claimed. Oh, absolutely. I'm an RV policy, but we'll get into that and I'll answer some of those questions as we go on. But so, you know, if you've got your RV out there and and there's a, a damage to the seam, and you haven't been keeping it up, then that would be a claim you could make on a on the proper policy. And oh, that it's type also of water. You mean yeah. like an
1: exterior water coming in through the ceiling, and then it cre- right. creates like delamination? Okay, because I was thinking because it's else.
2: been in storage and not been kept up. So those are the claims most most statistically denied. So fun fact there.
1: Okay, all right. Well, then I can tell already we're going to have fun here and uh, and diving into some of these nuances. And I would imagine that's where. That's where the clarity is going to come, is making sure that we understand where the gaps are, so that someone knows exactly how they need to operate, so that they can they can get the insurance that they think they have. Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about. Um, there were so many questions as it relates to the type of coverage, which I think is is fair. You know, there's a lot of people that uh, you know, they, let's say they're homeowners and they go out maybe two or three times a year, and you know they they might have certain requirements for insurance. And then there's other people that uh, are are maybe how trish and i travel which is part-time seasonally so maybe we'll be out for seven months but we're also homeowners and then we've got people that have gone full-time and so there were a lot of questions about you know can they use their po box as their address and not having a physical address but um but first let's just talk about do, do insurance coverage does insurance coverage change depending on these three different types of status if you will
2: uh, yes. So one of the questions that's always asked on an insurance application is how long is the vehicle in use for uh, anything from, you know, that weekend person to people like you guys who are out more often. There's really not a tremendous amount of difference there uh, because you do have the underlying coverage for your personal property from your homeowners policy and your underlying homeowners liability that covers some of the biggest things that you're facing out there aside from the insurance on the rig itself, okay? Mm-hmm. Full-timers don't necessarily have that. So there are packages on, once again, most policies and I can't speak to every policy. I don't represent every company, but most companies have a uh, a full-timers package which includes some of that liability and items and storage coverage as well. So, you know, part of part of what you want to do with your insurance coverage to make sure it's proper is really be transparent with the professional you're working with and tell them how you're going to use it. So
1: I think you're talking about, isn't the term for full-timers to cover some of the items on the inside, isn't that called like contents
2: insurance? Yes, there is contents insurance. So an RV-specific policy will always, I won't say always, I can't do that, but sure. generally has uh, contents coverage. I actually was looking at some quotes from different companies preparing for this, and it goes up to about 100,000. That's not exclusive to full-timers, but obviously as a full-timer, you'd want to max that out. If you you can also cover an RV or a travel trailer on a regular auto policy in which case you don't have that sort of coverage. You would have to count on your homeowner's coverage extending to your personal property and the liability portion. Okay,
1: so there was a question specifically around e-bikes. So in order if you know if someone's two e-bikes, you know, which are fairly expensive get stolen, that would that would be covered under the contents insurance or under contents coverage of that plan so i would imagine that somebody who is not necessarily full-time but you know maybe even a weekend warrior but they pop out and their e-bikes get taken um, they may not have access to contents insurance if they don't have this full-time package
2: no no they have there's contents insurance on every rv specific policy whether it's rv or travel trailer okay so if you have rv you can get that and once again that's a decision the standard is zero but you can buy any amount up to ninety-nine thousand was the number that I found for the companies I represent. Whether oh, you're full-time or part-time, it doesn't matter. If yeah, but it's then on you also RV. said if
1: you're if you're a homeowner though, it would right. be covered under your homeowner's insurance. So you probably wouldn't want you probably would not need that because you would you would just claim it there. It,
2: it depends on where you want that claim to end up. Okay, so let's say e-bikes. What are we talking? Four thousand dollars worth of bikes, right? Let's say. Sure. Yeah. So your homeowner's policy is probably going to have a fairly high deductible to start with. Higher than your RV policy would have at maybe 500 or 1,000, depending on the state and what kind of policy you've got for your home policy. Mm-hmm. Also, claiming that personal property on a home policy can increase your home rates, which can, be, can become exponential as opposed to increasing RV rates, which won't be as much. So okay. it depends on where that claim ends up in your insurance history.
1: Okay, so now let's talk about this full time person because it is yeah. it is difficult, um, you know. And from my experience, there's only a couple of the carriers that that provide, let's say, full time insurance. But mm-hmm. I'm sure you know more because you're in the business. Sure. Uh, so what 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 type of coverage would somebody need? And then let's get to back to the question too: is you know, can you use a PO box or a, a mailing address?
2: So simple answer that that's an easy one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and for most companies, you can if whatever state you're registering that motorhome in. You can use or trailer or whatever. Sure. You can use a PO box in that state to register it. For the most part, there are some tricky states, and I, you know, in, I saw the questions as well, and I know this was specifically asked about North Carolina, mm-hmm. and North Carolina is one of those tricky states. So I can't speak to it specifically. The trickier states, let me get my list here, are North Carolina, New York, Florida, and Louisiana. They tend to have tighter insurance. Rules than a lot of other states, mm-hmm. so maybe in North Carolina, but in most states generally, yes, you can register. You have a PO box, and that's it. That's all you really need for a full timer. Here are the coverages that I would suggest. Now, in my experience, most most companies that I represent do have a full timer package, okay. um, and so it's just a, another endorsement that you put on. It gives you that personal liability. So if it's a motor home, you have auto liability where if you run somebody over, right? But personal liability is what comes in when you're having cocktails around the fire and someone misses a step and breaks their leg and wants to sue you for it, okay? Okay. So a full-time package, I would want to max that out if it's me because you never know right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And then you'd also want to max out your uh, personal property coverage. And then a lot of the companies will have a full-time package that actually covers items in storage. And so that's obviously something you're probably going to have if you're a full-timer, I I would assume. Yeah. And as such, you want to make sure you have some coverage for that because you'd no longer have that homeowner's policy to cover that sort of thing. If that's not available, I would recommend seeking out some sort of storage coverage to make sure that you've got that covered. Okay. And then also full-timer packages generally come with, with other things like med pay. So same cocktail party, your friend is uh, cutting up the limes and they cut their finger real bad. They don't want to sue you, but they want to be treated. That's medical coverage. Okay, gotcha. So, and, that's, okay, so and that's a full-time package.
1: Now, when we first got started in this five years ago, I, I didn't tell my uh, RV insurance <laughs> carrier that we were full-time. Okay. Um, and we had a claim, but that never really came up. So when does it come up? Because I know a lot of, you know, if you hit the Facebook groups and, and people ask this question, there's a lot of replies, uh, a lot of comments that say, well, why would you tell them? Which is a good point. So when does it, I, mean, I imagine it, it comes tell up when it gets expensive. So, well, I know, no, 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 no. no. Your, your advice is 100% correct. We should always be transparent. That way you so get he, the right coverage.
2: Here's when it comes up. When it comes up is when you end up with a, uh, when you end up with that claims adjuster who's going to play by the rules and denies that claim. So in most cases, you get one and then they'll cancel you. But ultimately, really, here's the truth of insurance. You never want to operate in the shadows of insurance. Insurance is fairly black and white. It is a legally binding contract. If you are a full timer and your company doesn't know it, it can be cause for denying a claim. Sure. And really, the difference in premium is pretty nominal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're oh, yeah. talking about yeah.
2: 100 bucks a year. So really, if there's anything that I, that I let everybody walk away, because it's the same thing in the classic car world where I'm, I'm, I do a lot of insurance and in the exotic car world, you know, don't tell them you do this or don't tell them you have that. Well, why would you do that? Because then you're not protected. Yeah, sure. Okay.
1: it's it's better pe- I mean, insurance is supposed to be peace of mind. So why not have the ultimate peace of mind and know that right. you were just saying the, the truth last thing, from
2: the beginning. So the yeah, the, the last thing you really want with any any contract is to be surprised at the end. Mm-hmm. And insurance companies are no different. Ultimately, this is a business of for profit, right? Yeah. And if they're not in if they're not allowed to really have a level playing field, then it it can be not profitable for them. And I know this sounds like me saying, oh, insurance is the best, and but it is if you look at it rather than from a how little can I pay perspective, but how little can I pay for everything I need perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, just to summarize, so I like the distinction on the full time RVers to have the proper insurance for the personal and some of the medical and some of the situations that might happen on the road, of course, being transparent, because because the claim is going to happen in some other state, most likely because they're they're full time. Um, And then getting back to the homeowner or the part time doesn't sound like there's a big distinction between a weekend warrior and someone like me that's part-time because no, you've got right. the home that's in the equation. So that's kind of the common denominator between those two status.
2: Right. So you have you have certain coverages for your personal property and your personal liability extend from that home policy.
1: But as you say, you can add some contents insurance so that if you wanted to place the claim with your RV contents insurance for those uh, stolen e-bikes, that would be better than maybe your homeowners. And that's exactly. just a decision that people would make on their
2: yeah, own. Yeah, 100%. Okay.
1: All right. So that kind of covers uh weekend warriors, part-time and full-time. Let me get into a couple nuances here. Um, yeah. there was a great question. In fact, I, I love this question because it was one that I had also, and that is, um, on a one ton truck, it, if you have to, if a state registration requires that one ton truck being registered commercially, does that automatically mean that you'll now need commercial insurance?
2: No, uh, it, it, if you need commercial insurance, the insurance company will stop you from writing a personal policy. So no, in, in my experience, no.
1: Okay. And then what about um, if someone's going to put, getting back to the part-time person, if someone's going to put their st- uh, RV in storage for four months, do you suggest that they temporarily change their coverage because they're not going to be in a collision during those six months? They could just ah. go to, let's say, liability?
2: No. I'll tell you why. So one, there's no liability there. Okay. Your unattended trailer is not going to kill anybody. It's not Christine. Okay. So I don't think that's going to happen, but I have actually had this happen in the last six months. We had a client who put his trailer into storage and he took off collision because he wasn't going anywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's no risk. Mm -hmm. However, the Jack on his trailer failed. Mm -hmm. And so it collided with the ground. So there was no coverage. Interesting. So. In my, in my experience, it's never good to take off coverage because Murphy's Law says that's the claim you'll end up having. Yeah. Okay, now, if you're putting a motor home in storage for four months, you can take off liability in many cases because it isn't going to go anywhere and hurt anybody, right? But I would never take any sort of physical damage coverage off unless I was willing to throw the keys to the rig in the bushes and walk away from it should there be something happen.
1: I just got an email tonight. I wasn't even thinking about this conversation, but I got an email tonight (laughs) that someone said they put their RV in storage and somebody else uh, didn't chalk their RV and it went rolling in and it it smashed into their RV. Mm Mm-hmm. I suppose that's not their fault, but nonetheless. It's not, but if they um, don't
2: have collision coverage, there'll be no coverage for it. Yeah,
1: okay, well, there you go. Okay, so now let's get into talking about how do you determine the right amount of coverage? Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, Christine asks, I've heard that you should carry carry campground liability coverage. What is that? I agree, I've never heard of that either. So have you heard of campground liability?
2: No, I haven't. That's that liability portion of it, personal liability. So once again, that would extend from your homeowner's liability or renters. If you don't own a home, you should always have some sort of domicile coverage that comes with that personal liability coverage. Or if you're a full-timer and you don't have that home policy, that's when you have that personal liability portion in the full-timers package.
1: Okay in fact there's a lot of very specific questions here and i actually appreciate the, these specific questions to get sure. into the details but before we even get into more into more of these details let's talk a little bit higher level about picking the right coverage mm-hmm. how do you coach your clients to determine what the proper amount of coverage is for them like at a high level like where do you start
2: well <laughs> we start with a conversation about what is it you you want to accomplish okay um, and the coverage that you need is different for everybody so it's kind of relative Mm -hmm. Ultimately you get what you pay for. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now we always start from a specialty policy perspective because we do see a lot of people who will cover their travel trailer uh, rig on uh, their regular auto policy. And we advise against that because it limits the coverage available to you. Okay. Um, But ultimately it's, it's determined by everybody's need. If you want to pay as little as possible, then we tell you to put it on your auto policy. If you're looking for coverages, like we're talking about here with the personal property and the personal liability and medical payments and disappearing deductibles, then we go into a specialty policy and kind of figure out what really works for them. Insurance is all stepping up to the table and putting your money down on what you want to be paid back on. Okay, We help you determine what that is. Gotcha.
1: All right. So you, you would then ask your, ask your clients these yeah. series of questions. So What's that the you, goal? They, yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, exactly. what, what do you, <laughs> you know, cause insurance is it, I can sell you whatever you want if you're willing to pay for it. And I make it sound like, Hey, you know, it's expensive and it's not necessarily, but sometimes people get so focused on what is it going to cost rather than what do I want to protect myself from? Yeah. Right.
1: Okay. Um, Now, so there were some specific questions. James Rector Mm -hmm. asks, um, what is agreed value coverage and why do I need it? And if there's a gap in place, uh, I guess, between, the gap of the coverage i guess of the value in the coverage but what what is what is agreed value coverage
2: so agreed value is when you tell the insurance company this is what i what i what it's worth and the insurance company agrees with you up front we agree that it's worth that much i haven't seen that often on rv policies mm-hmm. but i'm sure it's out there somewhere it's going to be fairly expensive because you're basically insuring against appreciation there which is going to be expensive. Agreed value is generally something that's used on more like a classic car policy Mm -hmm. rather than an RV policy. Most RV policies for your standard RV are written on an actual cash value basis. Often on most policies, there's a replacement cost. If you're the first owner of a brand new rig and you can maintain that replacement cost for three years. And if you can get that, that's really what you want.
1: So, you know, you mentioned the classic cars. That's just what I thought when you said that. So Sherry asked, how do you get insurance on like a vintage Airstream or motorhome for the actual value? Is that how you you use agreed? No,
2: you can't. Classic car companies don't want you camping in what you've got. So you you can get agreed value on an Airstream trailer, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to be able to use it for camping. You can use it as a museum piece. So in general you're not going to be able to do that really it's an actual cash value situation. So if you've got a vintage airstream and it's mm-hmm. worth $24,000, uh, the onus is on you at time of loss to prove that. And if that's really what it's worth then that's pretty straightforward. Insurance companies want to pay you what it's worth.
1: So you're saying when you're done with your renovation of your yeah. airstream or anything, mm-hmm. any any RV for that matter. I mean you mm-hmm. get a uh, some Wanderlodge, uh, you know, Bluebird Wanderlodge, you know yeah. like 1982 and you make it great and you've got about let's say $60,000 of renovation costs in there and you bought it for 20. So you think you could sell this thing for 82. Is it that point you get an appraisal so that you have documentation that this is worth 82?
2: Yes, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to get 82, but it's at least a talking point. Sure. Right. And so, yes, you can get an appraisal. You know, I also saw in the questions, where do you find a good appraiser? Uh You know, I start with Google or ask, uh, you know, call a classic car club. They may have one to recommend to you. Okay. is another way to do it. Or a dealership, someplace like that. But ultimately, yeah, the proof is, it's on you. Okay. So There's no way to guarantee that Airstream is going to be valued at that. But the more documentation you have for that, the better off you are. I also want to make it clear, insurance companies want to make you whole. You know, I mean, really, that's ultimately their goal. I, I, I know there's a, a thought out there around uh, the campfire sometime that the insurance companies are out there to pay you as little as possible. That's not really the goal. <laughs> but, you know, we've all got to come to an agreement at some point.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, for that matter, we've had a a several, we've had a couple RV claims and several other claims and I've always had a really good experience, but you know, it it is having the right coverage being upfront with what it is and then, and then making a claim. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Lou asks, um, when, when will I know if the insurance company will pay me the replacement cost first depreciation value?
2: Okay. When you buy replacement cost coverage. Okay. As I said, that's one of those coverages that's available. If you're the first owner of a brand new rig, You can generally get replacement costs. And in a lot of cases, that means they're just going to pay you if you had a 2021 that you totaled, they're just going to pay you whatever a 2022 cost to go get off the lot.
1: Okay. So this is pretty easy on the newer stuff, but I think Lou, I think Lou's question uh, uh, actually came down to the fact that, you know, let's say he had a class A that was 330 grand, but after driving 500 miles, you know, he threw out a depreciation number of like 180 grand. I don't know if it depreciated that fast, but yeah, but
2: you can't insure against depreciation. Yeah, There's nothing you can do. That that question I saw that was about the wholesale values, 180. Mm -hmm. Now you're not insured for wholesale value. You're insured for actual cash value and depreciation. It's really hard to insure against. Now, as I said, It might cost you $30 more to get that replacement cost coverage, and that's going to ensure against depreciation while it's available. It might cost you another $7 to get disappearing deductibles so that by the time you're in the actual cash value payment range, you don't have any deductible anyway. So Mm -hmm. a good agent can guide you to those sort of things if that's what you're concerned about. But there are limitations. These, These are really depreciating things. And so there's that's what you have to deal with.
1: Well, and they can be, and I'm already yeah. seeing that, that, you know, you know, you're providing specialty insurance for specialty, you know, from, for some very special needs. Mm-hmm. And so I think ultimately this is coming down to the type of RV you have. How, how much did you pay for it? When did you buy it? So it is really a case by case basis.
2: And, and how much are you willing to pay for insurance? Cause really I can do anything you want. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you willing to pay? Yeah. Because those, that doesn't go with what the commercials tell you is that you got to pay less and less. Mm. Yeah.
1: Okay. So Karen and uh, Duncan asked, what's the benefit or, you know, what's the benefit like pros and cons benefit disadvantage of having your tow vehicle on the same insurance policy as the travel trailer or or
2: their towable RV? This is an excellent question because we see this, I see, I think too often. Okay. If you have your travel trailer on your auto policy, you're missing out on some pretty important coverages. You're covering that travel trailer no differently than a horse trailer. Okay, so if, and now it's just for the, the actual cash value of it, but there's none of that liability, that personal effects coverage and things like that. And ultimately you're giving up a lot and you're not saving really a tremendous amount of money necessarily. So the advantage would be that it's cheaper. The disadvantage is that you're really missing out on a lot of great coverage that's available. Like I'm looking right now, let me pull this up here. I'm looking at a progressive policy just because it's easy. For a travel trailer, mm-hmm. where there are options like pest damage protection, roof protection, disappearing deductibles, um, that personal effects coverage, things like that. Those aren't available on a regular auto policy. Okay, interesting.
1: But wouldn't somebody even going with a carrier select kind of RV insurance, even with Progressive, or does that come through?
2: It's a special policy. So just because it's Progressive, you can put your travel trailer on your regular Progressive auto policy. It won't be covered the same way it would be on a Progressive travel trailer policy. And Progressive is just one company. Really, if you have, doesn't matter what insurance it is, you might still end up with Progressive on the RV. Or you might end up with another company that fits your needs better because they have something they offer that Progressive doesn't.
1: Especially when you start getting into some of these Class A's that are, you know, seven figures.
2: Yes, absolutely. That's a whole different animal.
1: Okay. Should be. Right. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the Canadians because there's a lot of Canadian e3 members and there's certainly a lot of Canadian arvers, uh, which is great. And yeah. you know, they they're, they love coming south and we love coming north. So. What do, what do Canadians need to understand when they want to come down to the lower 48 for let's say five months out of the year?
2: So I'm not licensed in Canada. Uh, I know that if, if I, if one of my clients goes to a different country, we have to sell them a, uh, like a Mexico policy for sure. I do not know how reciprocal insurance with Canada, in the United States works. I would really talk to your insurance professional in that case. Okay to
1: see if there's anything they need, if you know yeah. they get in a collision down here, if it's going to be covered. Because
2: I, I truly don't know. I, I think it's very similar, but I'm an American sure. insurance agent, you know, not to be jingoistic, but that's who I well, am. Well, let's talk about, <laughs> so. yeah, no,
1: I get it. And let's but let's talk about um let's talk about Trish and I going North. So yeah. I think it's a, I think it's like a Canadian writer, isn't it? It's just a writer that gets put on. Yeah, it's,
2: it's an endorsement you can put on. There are also individual policies that you can buy and generally you're In North America, it's covered. Mexico is kind of a different animal. But going to Canada is not something that we really have to do a whole lot for. Yeah, It's generally an endorsement. We talk to the company and they'll tell us, yeah, there's an endorsement or no, it's fine. We have reciprocal.
1: Okay, cool. All right. So getting down to some of these um, specific questions again. So Alan, let's ask, is there a difference between insuring uh, insuring a financed RV or, or one you paid for cash?
2: well the finance company has a say in how much coverage you have to carry i.e. what kind of deductibles one that you paid cash for you no one's requiring Just you to cover anything except yeah. for that liability yeah. yeah i mean so you know once again don't get caught on what you're required to have mm-hmm. get caught on what it is that you wish to protect
0: mm-hmm.
2: i mean and really that's the key uh, you know uh, so many people Mark, Mark, come to me, and and it has to be as cheap as it possibly can, but then they want everything that's available, and the two things don't go together. Yeah. As someone who does specialty insurance, if you're going to seek out that thing, start from what do I want, and then go from there, just like with a rig you're buying. What are the things that you really want? What do you really need when you get the bill? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean?
0: Yeah. You're listening to the RV Fireside Chat Podcast with your hosts, Mark and Tricia Leach.
1: So what's the difference between, let's say, some of the, the carriers, the name carriers like State Farm, Progressive, and yourself?
0: Okay,
2: uh, that's a great question. So there's three different ways to buy insurance. Um, you can go direct, which would be the 1-800 number that's a GEICO or a Progressive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can go captive, which would be a State Farm or a Farmer's. And captive insurance agencies, you there, you have an agent with a 1-800 number, you've got an employee of the company who works for that company and whose bread is buttered on the side of that company. With uh, the captive agent, the state farm, the farmers, the nationwide, that agent only really has one product to offer. And it's like if you went into a store and they had one big shirt and they said, it looks great on you and it looks great on your wife too, right? It all has to fit within the box they have. Not to say that they're bad companies, but one of the biggest secrets of insurance is that every company has an ideal fit who gets Mm. the best rate. And if you've only got one company to offer, it's harder to really find that best rate or best coverage for everybody. Mm. I am an independent agent, which means I represent, you know, for RV insurance, I have seven different carriers all fill a different need. And so when when someone comes to me, I'm able to find them that best fit based on not only their needs, but what insurance company is going to give them the best rate. On top of that, I understand insurance, not just a single company's product. It allows me to look at things in a much bigger picture way and able to manipulate what my knowledge on my client's behalf
1: well, and I would also imagine that that would help you uh, find, well, we've already talked about it, but find the right coverage for the right needs. Like, for instance, we had a, a teardrop, uh, and because that teardrop did not have a bathroom, uh, Progressive didn't cover it. Right. And, you know, she was looking all through the thing, and she says, no, no. And she pulled the VIN number, and she says, no, sorry, I can't help you. They didn't cover it. But I would imagine if I would have called you, you could have found coverage for it pretty quick.
2: Somebody out there would want to cover it, you know, or – if we didn't have that, we'd find the best way to cover it on the policy. It would be appropriate on like it, on a teardrop. It might be just covered as a regular trailer on your auto policy. That might've been the best fit for that one.
1: Yeah. Which would have been fine. Cause the, really the coverage I would have needed would be someone rear ending me.
2: Yeah, totally. It just for the, the property damage. Simple. Yeah. Right? But point. you still should do a travel trailer policy. I would think because then you get a little bit of that, um, um, that personal property, depending on the company, there are companies that will cover them. No big deal.
1: And then there are other types of considerations as people are going through the process, where you know they're maybe filling out an application online and they're full time, and it says, you know, what's your garaging address? And they're like, well, geez, you know, I've got my PO box, I've got that figured out. We've already talked about that a little bit, but uh-huh. but you know they don't know what to put in for the garaging address, and they don't know if they should make something up. So I imagine that's probably not even an issue in your case because of the way you're going to write it.
2: No. And let me just say this, you should never make something up. Right. But ultimately it's that knowledge that helps me to make sure that we don't have those problems. If you're doing your own insurance, I mean, you're taking some risk there. Whereas I, I can find the company really, this is not, while there are quite a few people on E3, there are fewer of, of people who camp than just regular auto folks. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's not something that someone experiences all the time. A garaging address has never been an issue because if you're a full-timer, you don't need one and it won't ask for one.
1: Because you know where to place it. So, no yeah. different than, than the cabin that we have. You know, we have, to, we have to change our insurance based upon the fact that it's a vacation rental. And so that right, right. needs to go with a very specific underwriter uh-huh. and they have a different set of questions.
2: Exactly. And that actually brings something that I didn't think about is um, the RV sharing where people are renting out their RVs. Mm. Oh, that's a big one. And it's not that it can't be covered. It's that if you aren't transparent with your insurance company that you're doing that, it won't be covered. So when you ran it out to that, that frat group that you didn't realize was a frat group and they destroy the thing, you'll have zero coverage unless you've told your insurance company. No different than ride sharing. You can cover for it as long as they know about it. And it's not really expensive to do that either, honestly.
1: Okay, so the coverage doesn't necessarily change, but you got to you got to let you got to let the right. insurance company know the intended purpose. So it goes down; it goes back to the purpose, which you've already mentioned.
2: Absolutely, you know, the last one I did like that. I want to say that the difference between private usage and then the you know leasing it out type usage uh, that was maybe a hundred bucks a year, mm-hmm. so pretty nominal. I mean, a lot of the insurance is driven by the value of the rig, certainly, but all these specialty things that are available to you are at a pretty nominal cost in most cases.
1: You know, when we first started talking, uh, we chatted a little bit about water damage. So maybe we can um, revisit that a little bit. So, um, you know, someone puts their RV in storage, they've got some sealant link on top. It comes down It delaminates the side and it's, let's say 10 mm-hmm. K to get, you know, relamination. So how's that's, that covered?
2: <laughs> that'd be covered in a comprehensive. And so the same sort of thing, that's anything other than collision. If you are maintaining it. If you how have do you it, prove that?
1: how do you prove well, that? Well, been...
2: if they go out there and see that it's all covered oh, yeah, in mold sure. and everything, sure they they're not going to yeah. pay for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. They, there's the pride and ownership is a term that used to be used, right? Mm-hmm. But there's also the endorsement for the roof protection uh, extra endorsement. So um, this is a, a lower deductible than the standard deductible, and it covers uh, for a vehicle up to five years old. And it covers for wear and tear and water damage and that sort of thing. Another endorsement. And really, let me just, for fun, put it on this. Uh, I can't do it on this product. Let me see if it's on the other one. Yeah, it's another, that's 75 bucks a year. So if that's something you're concerned with, cover it. You know, if if I had my rig out in outdoor storage for the winter time, I would absolutely have that endorsement on there just in case.
1: Now, just for giggles, because we're getting into the weeds here, um, yeah. someone... Doesn't quite dewinterize their rig correctly, and all their pipes blow, and uh, that can be kind of expensive. You got to drop the belly, got to change all of the lines. Um, mm-hmm. Where where does where does insurance fit into that
2: equation? That would fall under comprehensive as well. You know, I've never seen a claim like that. You know, I think those people probably just abandoned camping altogether, but. Um, well, no, it I've happens. Ne- it, it happens quite a It does happen <laughs> no, I'm quite sure a it does.
1: Well, here's the, here's the, well, and I guess under this example, I'm, I'm about to share with you, it might not apply, but what ends up happening is people drop their rig off in November and the R and the dealer doesn't dewinterize winterize it. Right. And the owner thinks that, well, certainly they did because it, you know, I'm not going to pick it up until March. And uh, <laughs> I guess that's on the dealer.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would be suing the dealer if that's the case, right? If you paid for winterizing, that's why the dealer has insurance. And then as long as you haven't dropped that coverage for the winter to save the $50, it will save you. You just claim it on your insurance and let them go after the dealer. Done and done.
1: But I guess the reason I bring it up is because de-winterizing a rig is really something that's on the owner to do. So I would think the insurance company would say, Hey, look, you know, sorry, you didn't do it. Well, if
2: if you, if you had a reasonable expectation that the dealership you dropped it off was going to do it. You're golden.
1: Oh, yeah. No, no. That was it. Right. That was. I mean, I'll go back to my first example. The fact that, you know, if it happens, you know, it's probably right. not a, a claim.
2: And, and once again, if it happens and you're going to claim it, in most cases, you'll probably get one, right? Yeah. So if you didn't de-winterize it, I mean, it's going to be more expensive to buy it for the next rig, right? Mm-hmm. But that's all there is to it. So there you go. But, yeah, I've never seen a claim like that personally.
0: Most because claims never-
2: I've seen, as I said, even me, are generally low-speed accidents.
1: So let's talk about claims in general in terms of, you know, uh, and, and maybe this is a bit of a myth, but what, you know, what can someone expect their premiums to go up at each claim? You know, the, you know, you've mentioned you before that. that you can't answer. That.
2: No, I mean, there's no answer for that because you really can't. Ultimately, you have insurance to protect you against disaster is really what it's for. So if you're the person that's going to carry a hundred dollar deductible and claim every little thing, you can expect to pay good money for insurance. If you carry a thousand dollar deductible and treat it as disaster insurance, then you're going to be fine because most people don't really have disasters. What 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 deductibles do you suggest for an RV? Always, I mean, unless it's some you know five thousand dollar little bitty rig, I'd always stay in a thousand. Okay, but it really it comes. That's me though. I carry. I carry high deductible well, on my wife's car. I carry high deductibles. <laughs> I carry low ones on my car. Cause I know I'm probably going to make a claim, but then again, that's me <laughs> in general. You know, I like a high deductible if it's not going to cause you hardship. So I carry it. My wife's car really is the newer one is why I do it. So I carry a thousand dollar deductible. If she bumps a taillight on that car, it's going to be a thousand bucks. Right. Same, same thing with an RV. Anything under $1,000, you ought to be prepared to pay for for yourself. And I would even argue that anything up to maybe 1500 you ought to be prepared to pay for by yourself or use your insurance and understand that it will go up, period. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And on that note, Trish does most of the driving and that's
2: why. <laughs> Carry a low deductible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really up to your comfort level. You know, I, I, I'm a high deductible guy on high value things. If you have a five thousand uh, dollar small trailer, then I would probably carry a hundred dollar deductible to maximize claim. Frankly,
1: yeah, you know. So Ben asks about uh, coverage for like let's say a blowout. So you have a blowout and let's say it, you know messes up your fender and your brake lines and it causes a few thousand dollars of, of damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, how what under what part of the coverage is that covered under, if any?
2: Well, it'd be covered for sure. If you had full coverage, and I'd say full coverage, that's a slang term, but if you had comprehensive and collision coverage, i am that would be covered under comprehensive coverage because it's anything other than collision. And okay. so that's how those things would be covered. Um, that's pretty straightforward. There wouldn't be any limitation to that, really, just up to the value of the rig, whatever it's insured for the actual cash value or replacement cost.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Very good. Now, uh, I might have some other questions on coverage, but I do want to talk about some yep. of the regulations, insurance, and that kind of stuff. Um, let's talk about – and I don't know if this is really appropriate for you or not, but someone was talking <laughs> – Walt was talking about the kind of like the non-commercial CDL. Um, and so if you're familiar, like I think there's 13 states that if yeah. you have a driver's license issued from those 13 states, like Texas being one of them, that you would have to have a non-commercial CDL when your gross combined is over 26,000 pounds. All right. So – what if you get what if what if what if you don't have that non-commercial cdl and you you file a claim you know and this gets back to transparency really yeah but um you know is the insurance going to come up and say hey you don't have this non-commercial cdl i imagine they would if your driver's license is from that state
2: Mm. you know I, i asked this question of a bunch of claims people and they really said that that wasn't an issue but they all told me the same thing is if this is something that you're doing regularly talk to your insurance company about it or your representative or your professional that you're working with. If really, if you're direct with an insurance company, I'm going to say you're, you're making a big mistake. You should always have an agent who can help you interpret these things. Okay. But this is the kind of question that you should ask your agent. If you do it with any regularity, if you're helping a buddy because his toe rig broke down and you've got to move his thing around, it's covered. If you're making a regular habit of something like this, where you're out of class talk to your insurance company and find out what their ruling is on it, because it's not, it's not the same for everybody. It's not the same for every company, but I've never heard that come up as a reason for claims to be denied either.
1: Well, yeah. And I guess the, the piggyback to that question is, is uh, gross. So let's say somebody has got a uh, triple axle fifth wheel with a pin weight of 3,400 pounds and they're pulling it with a three quarter ton truck and they're over gross and then they get in a wreck. Um, you know, the question is, are the insurance gonna, are Insurance companies going to come back and really see that they're overgross. In my experience, the people I've talked to, you know, there really isn't that level of accountability. But I've also said, just because I understand the legal process, um, you know, that might change if someone died.
2: You know, it could, but ultimately not really. If you're carrying high limits of liability, basically the rule of insurance is you get one, right? Mm-hmm. And so as long as you're carrying good limits of liability, You'll you'll be fine in that occurrence. I mean, that's really really digging down into it, and I think that any insurance company would have a really hard time supporting it. You're going to have a tough time the second time it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but the first time they'll probably give you a pass. But well, it's not something I've heard. You know,
1: the, the fact is too. I mean, if you're if you're from one of these 13 states that require this a non-commercial CDF of being 26 over 26,000 pounds. Uh, it's not a bad idea to get one. I'm, sure I'm not from one of those states, and I'm interested in getting one just because I think it would be an interesting process. Um, so I need to carve out time. And then regarding the the, the towing and the limits, you know, it just give. I think it just provides a tremendous amount of peace of mind to tow within the limits. And Absolutely. so if you're not within the limits right now, maybe just start making steps to changing your tow vehicle or or being within the limits, just so that you're you're, you're cruising down the road with better peace of mind.
2: Here is a good rule of thumb for a lot of things. But for insurance especially, it is better to ask permission than beg forgiveness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that kind of covers some of the regulation stuff. Okay. Now let's get back to talking about some of the coverages. Sure. Um, and then you know maybe I'll pass it to you to talk about some stuff that I'm not uh, even smart enough to ask. But um, <laughs> let's talk about uh, umbrella policies. And, okay. and uh, I know Bill Patton asked a question about most full-timers purchasing an umbrella policy so they can cover their assets. So how does that factor okay, into so- that?
2: an umbrella policy is an excess liability policy. Okay. So you have whatever you're, are you in a camper rig or unit trailer?
1: I'm in a, a, a towable Airstream. Yeah.
2: Okay. A towable. So you've got your liability based on your auto then. So your auto ha- should have some sort of either split or combined limit of liability. And that's the damage that you're going to do to other people's stuff mm-hmm. and their bodies. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's say you sh- I think that you should have at least half a million. um and if you do you can you then get yourself an extra million dollar umbrella that is a covers that for you because really if you kill somebody half a million is probably not going to be enough to protect you from the lawyers a million will be and that's where that excess liability comes in and that's an umbrella policy they're generally cheap they're a few hundred dollars a year to get a million dollars worth of really insurance lawyer protection so i'd always recommend one in any case Um, But certainly, if you're in a million-dollar rig, you need to have a lot of liability because someone is going to sue the pants off of you.
1: Okay, so value of the rig. But I'm really glad you brought this up. I was not even considering, and now it makes perfect sense, the difference between motorized and towable. Mm -hmm. So you're saying there would – so just in terms of how the insurance is set up is different because it's either falling under the tow vehicle Mm -hmm. or the the. The motorized RV, a class Correct. A, class C or class B. So can you talk a little bit more about what coverage a motorized RV owner should have?
2: So in my opinion, any motorized RV owner should have at least 100, 300, 100 for bodily injury liability. And what that means is it's a hundred thousand per person, 300,000 per accident in bodily injury to other people, And then a hundred thousand dollars in property damage to others that's the minimum you should carry because if you get into an accident in a large enough camper you're going to be sued especially if there's bodily injury and it's so inexpensive unless you're some sort of terror on the roads it's fairly inexpensive to carry a high limit of liability Um, i would always recommend that everyone that has a toy has an umbrella policy an umbrella policy is what i told you it was and generally that's attached to both the home and the autos. So you would have that over, overreaching umbrella. So if you're in an accident where you cause more than a hundred thousand dollars in bodily injury, you have an extra million dollars to come in and cover that. So I'm always a high liability guy because I've seen too many times where somebody just loses it all because they, the, the other party finds a lawyer and starts to sue them. Mm -hmm. A suit doesn't have to have merit to cost you a lot of money. And that's what liability protects you against.
1: Now, this sounds like it's more expensive than what maybe a lot of people are, are carrying. Uh, have you seen that a lot it's of- not our fears- more ex- it's,
2: it's not more expensive, it's higher. So state minimums are what I see a lot of people carry, too many people, okay? Mm-hmm. Because that's what they're required to carry and they've never really thought about insurance in the way that I think about insurance. So mm-hmm. like in California, for example, the state minimum liability- is I think it's, it's like 5,000 per person, 15,000 per accident in bodily injury to others, and $5,000 in property damage to others. That's ridiculously low.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: In Texas, it's 30, 60, 25, which also is really low when you think about what it costs to, to fix somebody and really how much the car is that's running around on the road. So having a high limit of liability is an inexpensive way to really protect your assets, because if they sue you, it will be for your assets.
1: All right. Sobering conversation.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I mean. As an insurance guy, I have a high appetite for insurance, you know, but I'll be honest with you, I was, I didn't have a liability for many years, or not liability, an umbrella for many years, but Mm -hmm. it was, it became increasingly apparent as I saw claim after claim after claim where we had bodily injury that went higher and higher and higher that it was silly to not have one for $200 a year.
1: Okay. So uh, before I move on, I just want to make sure that like if someone's listening and and they really want to understand the difference between that towable and motorized, is there anything else to talk about in regards to what someone needs to know between those two types of RVs? Because they really are separate animals.
2: No, not really. Um, I would always do a specialty policy because there are travel trailer specific policies. So Mm -hmm. as as I said, I always recommend that. And I'll go over some of those extra coverages that are available on that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But that's really the main difference is that liability and uninsured motorist portion you want to also consider the uninsured motorist portion of it depending on your state obviously it's different other states but if you have a hundred thousand dollar rig make sure that you're carrying enough uninsured underinsured motorist coverage to protect to protect it if someone Mm -hmm. hits you and doesn't have enough insurance gotcha which because if they're carrying that california minimum they have five thousand dollars to cover your own your property
1: okay that's good um Okay, so real quick, so you know, yeah. I'm I'm insured with Progressive right now, and uh, a lot of the a lot of viewers and E three members know that I just recently backed the airstream into a poll while putting it in storage. Okay. Um, got the first quote back at about 8600 $8, $8, $6, $8, $6. Um, dollars. Now, even if because it's very compelling, I mean, for for specialty insurance and for us talking. So, if I were to talk to you and we were to make a switch, um, I would still be actually filing that claim with Progressive because that's who I that's who I was insured with at the time of the damage, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, and you might end up with progressive with me, but you'd have, you'd have me here. So, yeah. think about it this way: anybody you're talking to at one eight hundred progressive works for progressive. Mm-hmm. When you talk to an agent like myself, I work for you. I represent you to the insurance companies with the knowledge that comes with it and all that sort of thing. That person is representing the at the one eight hundred number is representing the insurance company to you. Who's at the advantage there?
1: Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, segue a little bit into like yeah, road okay. size and, and warranty stuff, um, okay. uh, which I really didn't think we would actually have time to get um, this far into these questions, but you're so good at answering questions. <laughs> we're, covering, we're covering a lot of ground. Um, so real quick, I mean, the so yeah. like Scott and Kathy asked about, you know, going with, you know, let's like, say AAA for road size, but I also know that roadside coverage is also kind of bundled into insurance. So thoughts on that?
2: Yes, uh, roadside, insur- roadside coverage on insurance. Sorry. Roadside coverage on insurance is generally very cheap. I think a specialty company like AAA or Good Sam is just another layer of insurance for protection, Mm -hmm. right? The roadside on an on a an RV policy or a regular insurance policy is kind of there for emergencies mm-hmm. um, because as we all know, a tow can be expensive. I had oh, yeah. to call around for a tow that wasn't an emergency and I got quoted numbers as far as as high as 500 bucks. I'd rather the insurance company pick up that tab if it's me. Yeah. Some of the more specialty type roadside a, a company's coverage that comes on an on a RV policy are things like emergency expense coverage. Mm-hmm. So AAA is going to tow your rig where it needs to be as will the insurance company. Um, but if you're in the middle of nowhere and you have to stay someplace while your rig is repaired, uh, an RV policy can have emergency expense coverage for up to seven hundred to a thousand dollars to put you up in a hotel and feed you while you wait for the rig to be repaired.
1: Yeah. Well, you know the other issue I think with with roadside is if you look into some of the details, there's a client or there's a policy that says they they're, they're going to take you to the nearest place mm-hmm. not necessarily the correct place. So the nearest place might be a hundred miles away and and that's a, that's their free tow. But then you get there and they look at it and they say, hey, look, we can't fix that, nor do we have the time. So then they have to go call their own tow and it could be, you know, like you said, 500. That's actually fairly reasonable. Right. Mine
2: was for a little sports car. Yeah, so, no, yeah, you no. Know, you, got, right, so. <laughs> you got a triple axle diesel
1: pusher. <laughs> sure. 500 is, they're just getting started. Um, and so then they have to pay for the tow to the correct place. Right. Um, in some cases, I've, I've often thought and, you know, this ultimately comes down to someone's budget, but I've often thought having AAA is not a bad idea. And then having roadside, maybe through your insurance company, so that you had, you had a couple toes available
2: to you. Um, Absolutely. Roadside yeah. insurance on, a, on an RV policy, I'm just looking at one now, 12 bucks. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, really, for the year. So yeah. it's just more good insurance. You can pay good, Sam. You can pay AAA. But me, if I'm stuck somewhere, I want to have every opportunity to get out of there. And for 12 bucks a year, I'll take it on my insurance, too. Why not?
1: Well, and the other thing about that, too, is if you have that policy, that's a tow that you might have a little bit of planning, whereas the Mm -hmm. AAA might get you from where you're broken down to an RV park. And right. then you can decide and do some research. And then where you do I need call to go. your insurance company. You, exactly. For go. that, yeah. for that longer tow that may not have the stipulation of, let's say a hundred miles of the closest right. place. The other, the other reason I'm kind of an advocate of the, of, of the, uh, you know, I said AAA, but I really meant good Sam. Either I think one. I said right. AAA, but yeah, good. The reason I carry good Sam is because we got stuck in the mud somewhere out in Ohio. And I had my own insurance that I bought through the dealer and, or my own roadside and the neighbor got stuck and he already had good Sam on the way. So here, good Sam, a wrecker is sitting there and he pulls him out and he doesn't take my he doesn't take my roadside, but everybody takes good Sam. So right. I think that was that was my lesson where I like I gotta have Good Sam just because it's easy and typically the person that's going to be at the RV park is going to take it. And then like I said, you can have a backup plan to right. something that might actually be a little bit better. Because I don't think good Sam's the, the best, but
2: it's pretty good that everyone takes it. In my mind, if you've got a big weird vehicle that might be prone to breaking down, I'd like to have a couple layers of protection yeah. there.
1: I agree. Uh, anything to
2: talk about as it relates to warranties? Uh, I don't really do warranty coverage okay so. um, that's not a thing that I do. Uh, okay. be very careful in what you read in my experience. I've never had great experience with them so take them with a grain of salt. That's yeah. the only advice I have. Yeah,
1: I mean there are there can be a lot of stipulations. I mean we've got a partnership with wholesale warranties and I think they do a good job much like you, I think they're on the side of you know an e3 member uh someone part of the K yeah, I want to make clear like this, I, yeah. I don't have
2: anything bad yeah. to say about any warranty sure. my experience yeah. is limited.
1: Gotcha. Um let's see. Man, we've covered really a lot of ground. Um let me throw it back to let you me, let for me anything see. you want to cover.
2: Well, I'll say this about roadside, you know, it can be a couple different ways with your insurance policy. So make sure that you do talk with whoever you're working with, because in some cases, cases, there may be a higher limit that you can purchase.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, there may be a standard tell you to the nearest place coverage, but instead of $12 for 24, you might get 300 miles worth of coverage.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So it all, all depends on really what you're looking for. Um, it pays to work with a professional and really tell them what you're up to. And in the case of an agent like myself, I work for you. And so I'm going to help you find the right way. I've I've written so many specialty policies. There's so much to know about these in so many different companies. It's a matter of really finding the right fit. Okay, uh, some of the things that are available, um, I would always opt for disappearing deductibles because if they're available, because they generally tend to be dirt cheap and then most people don't have claims very often and when you have that small fender bender your premium is going to go up anyway so why not have a zero dollar deductible it's generally a wash there are really specialty coverages as i mentioned like pest damage and roof protection that protects against um specifically roof damage up to a certain amount on certain rigs really worthwhile okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um you know as as i said many times i'd really really always boost my liability i would always carry some sort of medical medical payments coverage because if someone just gets hurt they may not sue you and you may need an easy way to spend to cover that 500 bucks at the emergency room yeah you know
1: well all right um We've certainly covered all the members' questions. Is there anything? <laughs> uh, is there anything I'm forgetting? Anything? Any conversations you have with you know our that we should we should chat about as we kind of round round out?
2: You know, not about RVers, but about insurance in general. So if I if I can, I'd like to speak to. Insurance in general. So a lot of people think that it's really a wise thing to diversify your insurance, where you have your auto in one place and your home in one place and your RV or whatever in another place, and the three people don't talk to each other. Um, But really, that's, that's a big mistake that a lot of people make because it leaves you open to gaps in coverage. And it's not that it all has to be with the same company, but you should have one agent that you really work with who you let him in on everything that's going on so he can look out for those things that you might not think about Mm because everybody's circumstance is different. You know, Mm -hmm. the full-timer, we need to have a talk about a couple of different things. You know, what kind of coverage do you have for your body? What kind of coverage, what, you know, how are you covering your car? You know, what do we have here? So there's lots of different things, but even for the weekenders and really if, if you guys own a home, and you have a rig and the home is in one place and you're mostly in another place, you need to make sure that everybody knows about that so that there's no gaps in coverage, Yeah. right? So that's that's the advice I'd love to give everybody. If if I if you can walk away with nothing else from this, it's make sure that you talk to a professional let him in on everything. Just because I'm a camper specialist, that doesn't mean that's the only thing you should talk to me about. I'm an insurance specialist. I just like to do special insurance.
1: Yeah, no, I right? love it. And uh, I guess on that note, Don and Kevin uh, were talking about the difficulty of finding full time insurance and, uh, you know, it can be kind of complicated and I suppose, you know, you know where to get it and and you know what coverage to have. So,
2: (laughs) so think about it this way, right? Your standard agent maybe doesn't do RV insurance very often. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he's not familiar with that product. It's there and we call it in the industry. It's a convenience product. What he really wants is your home and auto, and I'd say he, but he or she mm-hmm. really wants your home and auto, because that's where the bread and butter is, right? That's where the money is. And it's not a whole lot in insurance, very frankly, but it's there, okay? He offers motorcycle and RV and whatever else, classic car insurance, because he has to. Otherwise, you might talk to a guy like me who can do everything, gotcha. right? But I would argue that you should always start with a guy like me and talk about everything, because- these specialty policies do require some knowledge. Most, a lot of agents from the captive side of the house, which would be like a farmer's where they only really have one product. I see a lot of travel trailers come from that side of the, the industry that are just on an auto policy without any of these extra coverages that are available at a nominal price, Yeah. right? And so when I see that, that tells me that that was just an add-on. That guy didn't really know what he was doing. No, knock on him. He doesn't do it all the time. Yeah. Right. And so that's something to really consider is is it's easy to buy a bad policy if you focus on the wrong thing.
1: Yeah. Well, I know a lot of E3 members that are listening to this are, are probably going to prompt even more questions, and I appreciate your uh, commitment to E3 because I know you're also yeah. working with uh, uh, the sister brands, E3 Offroad and Overland, and, and uh, you know Jeeps have their own type of specialty. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm sure as these questions come in, uh, we can ping you so that on the E3 camping uh, page where this podcast is will be posted down below, we can answer even more questions. And of course, that's a great place for E3 camping members to get in touch with you if they have questions they will to reach out to you personally so we appreciate that insight yeah. i suppose you know in closing uh, i'm hearing uh, be transparent and upfront uh, know what you need what, what you need coverage for and if you're not sure then you know you can certainly help figure that out and understand where the gaps are so you have the right coverage so that it's there to protect you when you need it
2: yeah it's you know it's it's not a poker game It really isn't. And a lot of people want to treat buying insurance that way, but ultimately most of the insurance agents that I've met really just want to be genuinely helpful. Mm -hmm. And, and truly this is a complicated thing. There's so much more than you really know. And don't play poker, really talk to the folk that you're working with and give them an opportunity to show you what they can do. If, if it's always about premium, that's fine. Just be clear that, you, if you're going to pay as little as you can, you're not going to get as much as open to you.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. And so be open. Talk. Yeah. Trust the people you're working with. We have to get a license. We have to learn this stuff. So, yeah. and, and as always, I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm happy to do this again. I enjoyed talking with you, Mark, you know? Um, and so, I can't speak to every company in every state. There's always going to be some sort of exception, but I think I know what I'm doing, and I'd love to continue to chat with you guys.
1: Yeah, no, it's clear that you have a depth of knowledge of this, and we appreciate it. As I said right when we opened, is that you know if, if someone has clarity and they understand something, then they can then they feel more comfortable with it. And I think that's what really insurance is about is, is making sure we're out there having fun. But um, Trish and I can attest to the fact that um, things do not always go to plan. And no. <laughs> when they don't, it's, it's all, it's all nice. about
2: peace of mind. Yeah, totally.
1: it, re- it really is. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on here. Everyone knows where to find you and uh, yeah, would love to talk to you again. And so uh, we'll, we'll talk to you, talk
2: again soon. Anytime, Mark. Thank you very much. It was wonderful to be here. All right. Thanks.
0: Head over to www.e3camping.com to join the fun. You've been listening to the RV Fireside Chat Podcast with E3 Camping Association with Mark and Tricia, the next generation in RVing memberships.